Transition from the book of Galatians. We've been going through Galatians for the last few weeks. Uh, this week we're going to be looking at uh, faith and gender this week and next week. Um, so we're going to start our time in Genesis chapter 1. Um, so go ahead and turn there. We're going to make a transition, like I said, for the, for the, the next couple of weeks. Um, as was mentioned before, we do have a, a faith and gender town hall, um, which is coming up uh, this Tuesday. But the elders and, and I have felt that it, it, it's time to, to help shepherd our church in this and through this cultural moment. This Tuesday night, we're going to have that town hall, and um, we usually do town halls, usually about once a year, um, where we address a, a particular cultural or particular political topic. These town halls are shaping in how we relate our Christian faith to issues in our society, particularly when the views of our culture conflict with the views that we see in the Bible and the views of Christianity. This week and next week, we're going to be preaching from God's Word on this topic of gender, and we encourage you to join us this, this Tuesday as we'll talk more in depth on this subject and discuss more practical steps we can take. Over the last few years, the transgender conversation uh, has consumed the United States both on a cultural level and on a political level, transgender seems to be the most important topic in the United States right now. In the last year, over 25 states have passed laws that affect the lives of transgender individuals, either expanding legal protections or limiting medical care. Almost every school district in the country is dealing with this at some level or another. According to the New York Times, there are roughly 1.6 million Americans who consider themselves transgender, and of those, about 300,000 are under the age of 18. Our goal for the next two weeks on Sunday and the, the town hall on Tuesday night is to help us understand this movement and what is the biblical response to it? Our goal is to be shaped and led by God's word to walk through these messy situations in grace and truth and in love to our neighbor. Our goal here is not merely to fill us with knowledge, to give us ammo for our next online argument, but our goal here is that we would increase our love for those who are hurting. If we grow in our knowledge and ability to speak the truth, but have not love, we are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If we have not love, we are nothing. Timberline, there are 1.6 million people in the United States where this is not merely a debate or a political issue, but a profound aspect on one level or another in their reality. Many in our church are dealing with this either with themselves or with loved ones or family members. These are first and foremost a people to be loved with the love of our Savior. And so the elders and I are praying for God's wisdom and guidance over the next two weeks. And we ask that you would join us. And as with every issue that comes to us, that comes to us, we are going to look to the scriptures for guidance knowing that God has given us everything we need. 
And may we be humble and submit to God's word and to look to him. This morning, we're going to look at how we got here. We're going to look at the roots of this issue, where the confusion of genders comes from. However, to understand where we are today, we have to look at where we have come from. And so we're going to walk through this morning that God created us male and female. In his image, that humans... In rebellion, humans exchange God for something lesser. And as a result, God's wrath is revealed through the sinfulness of man. We're going to start in Genesis 1 and 2, and then we'll move into Genesis 3. And then we'll finish our time with Paul's explanation of our current state of affairs in Romans 1. So we're going to go Romans, or I'm sorry, Genesis 1 and 2, then Genesis 3, and then jump forward to Romans 1 this morning. And so would you please stand as we read God's word? We're going to be reading from Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 through 31. We stand each week out of reverence and awe for God and his word. And so let's read along. And uh, verse 26, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, um, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Bow your heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning um, thankful for your goodness. Lord, that your goodness is, has constantly been pursuing after us, that, that we are like sheep who have gone astray, Lord, but you have, you have left the 99 and pursued the sheep that has gone away. And Lord, you have pursued us with your goodness. And Father, as we enter into this conversation, Lord, um, something that seems to be so profound in our culture, Lord, would you teach us? Would you transform our hearts and our minds that we would worship you and and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself, Lord? Lord, I pray that you you would speak through me this morning, that it would not be merely my words, Lord, uh, but yours. Lord, I pray for my tone. I pray um, for the words. Would you be in it? Would you be with us this morning? Would you guide us in all truth? In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the skies and the seas and all that is in them. 
He created the earth and the plants and all the animals. All life finds its origin in the creative act of God. The pinnacle of creation, the last thing he created was humans. Everything that God created was in the Hebrew tov ma'ov, or very good. It was exceedingly good, abundantly pleasant, incredibly beautiful. Everything was as it was supposed to be. From this short description of God creating us, we already begin to see God's design for humanity. And our anthropology finds its foundation here. I wanted to highlight from this text five observations that we can glean and what this text shows us, uh, what is true about us. And the first is that we are made in God's image. Verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Humans, both male and female, are created in the image of God. We reflect God. Mentally, physically, spiritually, we are in some sense like God. There is nothing else in creation that bears the image of God, but humans do. Our intelligence, creativity, emotions, desire, and authority, we are like God. There is a spiritual life that is ingrained in humans that is not true of anything else in creation. We, we are not God, but we reflect Him to the rest of creation. The fish and the birds and the animals would see humans and know that we are the representation of God on earth, made in the image of God. And this is true of all human beings from all times, from all places. Even though, as we will see, the, the, the image of God is, is broken due to sin, every human from creation forward is made in the image of God. This is one of the reasons why we believe that murder is wrong. Exodus 9.6 says that whoever sheds the blood of another man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his image. We honor humans because they are made in the image of God. Like a conquering king who has set up a statue in the town square to remind his people who has supreme authority, God has set up his image on earth to represent and reflect his goodness and power to the rest of creation. See, what being, in, what being created in God's image shows us is that we are not merely physical beings, where our scientific community would say that we are merely physical, we are here merely by physical processes, we are here by accident, the Bible comes and says that there is a spiritual component to us. And God, a God-given specialness to you that is not true of anything else in all creation. Secondly, we are made intimately. Where everything else in creation was made merely by God speaking it. 
First, the Godhead confirms, uh, confers among the three persons of the Trinity when he says, let us make man. And then chap- uh, listen to chapter 2, verse 7, which gives a little bit more detailed account of the creation of man. Genesis 2, verse 7, And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. We are made the exact way that God has meant us to be. God formed us together. Whether you are taller than you would like, whether you're shorter than you would like, whether you're skinnier or fatter or light, lighter skin or darker, or if you have blue eyes or brown eyes, everything about you was designed by God intimately, like a master sculptor working tediously on clay. He knows our frame, and he knows that we are but dust. Third, we are made for a purpose. Chapter 1, verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. There was a reason God created you. Live out your identity as an image bearer of God. Enjoy the, the, the world that God has made, work in the world that God has made, and bring glory to Him. Honor God in, with your lives. We are not here by accident, and also our purpose here is not to discover it for ourselves or find ourselves and who we are supposed to be and what are we supposed to do. In the, in the 2016 movie Moonlight, uh, this is a famous quote, Juan says to Little, at some point, you got to decide for yourself who you're going to be and can't lay, let nobody make that decision for you. Or Chief is saying to Moana, you will do great things, but first you must learn who you, who you are meant to be. Or probably the most profound in the 1992 Supreme Court case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, Justice Anthony Kennedy, rather, Anthony Kennedy stated, the heart of our liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning of the universe and of the mystery of the human will. Our culture is flooded with ideas that we need to find ourselves, find out who we are, find out what purpose we are meant to do, to find some some unknown idea about us. However, I, I tell you that that which our culture is searching for is unknown, I am telling you is known, that God made us and has a purpose for how we are supposed to live. And that living in the purpose of God will, will bring about joy and thriving and life to the fullest that will not be experienced elsewhere. Fourth, God created us male and female. Men and women are created in the image of God, and both males and females display the glory of God with equal brilliance. 
See, there is a purpose to humanity as a whole, uh, but there is also a purpose to God creating males and females, and it's not merely about biology. You are a man because God designed you to be a man. You are a woman because God designed you to be a woman. And both men and women, separately and together, glorify their creator. Men are not lesser, women are not lesser. As a male, you have the distinct opportunity to worship God as a male created in his image. As a female, you have the distinct opportunity to worship God as a female created in his image. We are created as a sexed person male or female. And the different sexes are not only for reproduction, but for joy-filled celebration of our Creator. You are not a male by mistake, but through the providential planning and wisdom of your loving Creator. You're not a female by mistake, but through the providential planning and wisdom of your Creator. Fifth, God created us with bodies. God fashioned us physical bodies. Our bodies are an essential part of what it means to be human. We are not human without our bodies. We are certainly more than just our bodies, but we are not less. Our physical bodies are just as important as every other aspect about us. Your body is you. Your body is how God created it to be with all its difficulties, limitations, abilities, intricacies. It is you. Author Sam Albury says it this way, if it were merely a product of accidental, accidental processes, speaking of the body, we could justifiably write it off as having no theological significance. Our body is not merely an arbitrary lump of matter. It means something. It is not peripheral to our understanding of who we are. For all the difficulties you may have with it, it is the body God wanted you to have. It is a gift. Many of us, even if we don't struggle with transgender thoughts, view our body as disposable, that the real me is on the inside. We see ourselves similar to that of the, the movie The Matrix, that our mind is, is, is separate from our body, that it's the mind that only matters, that we can separate our real selves out from that which is physical. Our body is not merely a vehicle, property that we can do what we want with. Your body is not just an instrument for you. Your body is woven into your identity. See, even our Savior donned a body and put on flesh to be with us. Jesus was God incarnate, or as my pastor used to say in, in Tucson, he was uh, God concarne, or God with meat. <laughs> Jesus valued the body so much that he became flesh, and on the third day, he rose in a new body. Jesus has, the, has right now a physical body in heaven. And when we are raised, we are given a new body according to 1 Corinthians 15. 
God created us with bodies, and our bodies are essential to our identity and our worship of God. We present our bodies as living sacrifices in Romans 12, and we glorify God in our body in 1 Corinthians 6. See, God created us as he wanted us to be. We are intricately and intimately designed by our creator. God created us very good, and everything was as it was supposed to be. However, we know, as we know, humans exchange the glory of God for worship for something else. Flip over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord has made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, God, God, God gave humans dominion over all the earth and every tree for seed. They could eat of every tree that they wanted to. However, he said of this one tree, do not eat. That was their one rule. Go flourish on the earth, representing, representing me in perfect manhood and womanhood. Just don't eat of this fruit of this one tree. And you've heard the story. Satan comes in and, and tempts Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. In verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of it and eat and gave some to her husband who also ate. God said, do not eat of this tree. But Eve saw that the fruit was edible not only was it edible, but it looked delicious. And that if she ate it, she would be smarter than she is now. And she ate, and her husband who was with her, and they both did not obey what God said, but they took matters into their own hands. They made the exchange. They did not honor God, but instead chose to honor themselves and honor this fruit. They decided they knew what was best for them, not what God had said. They exchanged the objective truth of, what, of God for what they believed. They did not rely on what God had determined was right and wrong, but sought to determine it for themselves. They exchanged the worship of their creator for the worship of themselves. And through this rebellion... 
Through this saying, we don't believe that God has the best for us, that, we sh- that he should not be followed, and that we know better, sin entered the world. And as a result of sin, everything has been infected and affected. We have chose to worship something other than God. We have chosen our feelings or our experiences or what we see right in front of us as more important, more worthy, better than what God has said. Like our father Adam, we have all sinned. And there are at least three results of this sin that we see here in Genesis 3. There's probably more, but there's at least three. And we see these results not just here in Genesis 3, but in all sin afterward. First, sin has broken our relationship with God. Adam and Eve, upon hearing God walking in the, the garden, they ran and hid from him. Our relationship with God has been broken. We hide from him. John 1 says that men love the darkness and they hated the light, for their deeds were evil. And we know the evil that we have done. And God is pure and he's holy and he's blameless. And so we run from him. We are afraid of God. Every person in Scripture who sees the glory of God falls on their face because they are so terrified, and they're like Isaiah, and they say, I am undone, I am a sinner, I live among sinners. And it's why in Revelation, when the glory of God God appears and is revealed, uh, humans cry out and ask and uh, demand that the mountains would fall on them so they could hide from the glory of God in their guilt and in their shame. Sin has broken our relationship with each other. Adam and Eve seek to protect themselves uh, from one another by sewing for themselves loincloth. And then uh, when they are asked about their sin by God, they start blaming one another. Genesis 4 talks about the first murder very quickly. Our relationship between humans is broken. And James 4 says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and, and cannot obtain, uh, uh, you desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Our sin causes hate and dissension and fights with others. Sin causes our relationships to be broken, and it takes just one second to look out into the world and see this to be true. Lastly, sin has broken our relationship with our bodies. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed those fig leaves to cover themselves up. Where before there was unity and peace and wholeness between our mind and our bodies, as a result of sin, there is a disconnected, a corruption of the peace that we just had. There is shame where before there was none. Our bodies are now a source of shame. We feel exposed. Adam and Eve covered themselves up, and we do so similarly in so many ways. We feel shame for being too short, for being too tall. We feel shame for having no hair or feel shame that your hair is red. 
we feel shame and, and, and guys who don't want to take their shirts off at the pool because they're overweight. We feel shame because we're too skinny or too hairy. We feel shame for that mole or the shape of your nose, the shape of your hips or your feet. There is a part of you that you want to hide. We feel shame for our sexual desires that seem to be ingrained as a part of us. We feel shame for those things we were made fun of for in high school. We feel shame for so many things. Exposure has become something to fear. Being uncovered, we don't want to be seen, we cover up and protect ourselves. Some of us feel shame in our bodies because we don't feel like we are the sex we are supposed to be. Some of us feel like something went wrong in our bodies. Our minds think that our bodies should be different than the way that they are, and due to sin, our mind is at war with our bodies. For those suffering with gender dysphoria, everything in their body, their emotions and mind are telling them that something is wrong, that something is not right. If only my body were to match how I feel. On top of that, often accompanying gender dysphoria can be severe depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. It can seem overwhelming and that there is no way out. It can seem that the only option for you is to give in and feel and to live the way that you feel. Our bodies are broken because of sin. Our minds are broken because of sin. Our bodies are not the way that they should be. We think and feel incorrectly where there was peace and wholeness between our mind and, and bodies. There is now disruption, shame, and guilt. And Romans 5 said that, says that uh, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin came into the world through Adam and it broke everything. The wrong we see in the world and the wrong we see in ourselves is due to sin. Things are no longer the way that they are supposed to be. The world and all creation is no longer tov ma'ov or very good. There is wickedness and evil and corruption and rottenness. This leads us to this, the result of sin entering the world, the result of humans who were designed to honor and love and glorify their creator who have exchanged that glory for lesser things. And the result of this exchange is that everything broke in creation. Turn over to Romans chapter 1 as we look at, the, at God's response to this exchange. Romans chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. Romans chapter 1 over in the New Testament. Romans 1 chapter 18. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The wrath of God is, is, is revealed against all unrighteousness. See, see, here's the three steps in Paul's thinking here. First, humans exchange the glory of God for creation. That originally happened with, with Adam and Eve, but continues to happen every, with every human. Three times Paul says in this verse, uh, in this section, that humans exchanged God for something else. In verse 21, verse 23, and 25, humans, instead of worshiping God, they worship a lie. They worship their own feelings as the arbiter of truth, their own emotions and their thoughts as the most true thing in reality. They serve the creature rather than the creator. Because of this exchange, God gives them up to their sin. He says, you have made the exchange, now live in the world of your exchange. Verse 24, God gave them up to their lusts. uh, Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. God allowed them to continue in the sin that they had committed to live in the effects of that exchange. Essentially, God tells humans, okay, this is what you want. Okay, you can have it in all all its fullness. It's like this. You tell your kid not to jump on the couch. Now, out of love and obedience to you, your kid should absolutely listen to you. But as any parent knows, they continue. They, in their heart, have said, I desire what I want to do more than obey my mom or my dad. And so they jump. And you as the parent let them because you know what's going to happen. They jump, they slip, they fall off, and they break their arm. Their punishment for not listening is not a timeout. Their punishment for not listening is now their broken arm. But it continues from there. Now they are angry and in pain, and in pain they, they lash out at you or they lash out, their, at, out at their little brother or sister, and you tell your other child in response, hey, don't, don't hit, but in response to being yelled at by the broken-armed brother, they now lash out and start swinging at him. And now the broken-armed brother and the little sibling, uh, they start fighting. They are fully responsible for their actions. Not because you wish to steal their joy, but to give them the most joy and happiness possible. So the logic that Paul is making for us here in Romans 1 
is that we made the exchange. God allowed us, gave us up, and allowed us to do this. And as a result, we begin to act out externally what has already happened internally. What has already happened internally in our hearts produces external actions. Verse 24, we dishonor our bodies. Verses 26 and 27, we exchange the natural sexual acts with that which is unnatural. Verse 28, we do what ought not to be done. All sin at its root is a dishonoring of God. We do evil things because we don't love God. We sin with our hands because our minds and hearts are rotten to the core. We steal with our hands because we covet with our hearts. We murder with our hands because we are angry in our hearts. And transgenderism is no different. We have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. God has allowed us to live in it. And we move and live in a way that is unnatural and against what God has created us to be. See, at the core of the trans issue is something far deeper than the physical reordering of sexuality. Now, is there other issues at work here? Absolutely. There are cultural pressure issues at work here where we want to be accepted by those around us. There's also mental health issues and psychological issues at work here, and we need to address those and get counseling and help for those issues as well. Christians of all people should be the ones stepping in to messy situations to help. But there's something far deeper going on here than sexual identity and desires. We have substituted the glory of God. At the very core of the transgender issue is a spiritual issue. The trans person, like all sinners, is living out externally what has already happened internally. And there's one more thing we should note here. And it's God's response to this exchange that we see in verse 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath here is in the present tense. God's wrath is currently being revealed. We live in a culture uh, that is a parable of the human condition. Not just the trans issue, but in all sexual and moral decay of our world, this verse is not about the future wrath of God in hell, but it's about God's revealed wrath now, currently. See, God's wrath is revealed in the current brokenness and the sexually confused world we live in. God's wrath on a spiritual exchange is allowing us to live out our physical sinful tendencies. It has commonly been said that the, that the AIDS crisis is God's wrath on, on homosexuals or the high suicide rate among transgenders is God's wrath on transgenders. No, that's not what Romans 1 is telling us. Romans 1 tells us that homosexuality and transgender and all the sexual and, and, and moral decay in our world is God's wrath on humans. God's wrath is revealed in him allowing us to live out our exchange in the infinite and awful damage that it causes. 
The wrath of God is revealed in the increasing corruption of our world and our culture. We are watching the outworking of a physical death and a corruption that has already taken place spiritually. God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. However, there is hope. Look at verse 16 of Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Whereas God's wrath is revealed on unrighteousness, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. God shows, God reveals his love for us that while we were yet sinners, exchanging the glory of God for another thing, Christ died for us. Christ took upon himself the wrath of God for our sin. Jesus Christ saves sinners, sinners and it is in him alone that we find salvation. The answer that we need, the answer that we are looking for is found in Jesus alone. We have exchanged the worship of God for another, but Jesus Christ, the righteous one, has brought us back. Jesus brought us back to God by taking on a body, a human body, and that he can sympathize with us in our shame, um, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus took on a body, felt the shame that we feel, despised it, and went to the cross and rid us of our shame and our guilt. If you are struggling with gender dysphoria, Know that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. You are saved through the belief in the saving work of Christ. It may not be easy, but put your faith in the one that can actually make things right. Faith in Christ is available to you. You have not been cast off. You have not been cast away. You are not alone. Your Savior loves you. Come to Jesus, all you who are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you, learn from him, for he is gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your soul. There is no version of yourself that will bring the hope and joy that only Christ can bring. Turn to him. As we continue in our faith and gender conversation, both next week um, and this Tuesday at the town hall, may our attitude and posture be of, of those who have been redeemed only by the sacrifice of Christ. For the rest of us in the church, as Paul would say in Romans 1.14 right here, I am under obligation to preaching the gospel. Would we likewise feel that obligation? There is a world out there that is looking for answers in all the wrong places. They have suppressed the truth. They have exchanged the worship of God for the worship of creature. 
The world out there is under the wrath of God, and let us be like Paul and not feel disdain for sinners, but debt. Let us not feel contempt for sinners, but compassion. Let us not feel scorn for sinners, but mercy. They are under the wrath of God, living a lie, hating the light and loving the darkness. The image of God is no less present in them than it is in you. Let us share the good news of them with the gospel. Timberline Church, let us show the light of Christ to a dark world and praise and worship God in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. God, you are good and, and, and we need you. We need you as, as many of us are, are, are dealing with this issue on a personal level, on a communal level. We don't know what to do with our family members, with our friends, with those at our school, Lord. Would you guide us and would you lead us and would we praise and honor you both in our words and in our actions and would we have compassion on those around us? Lord, you have created us. Lord, you have designed us the way we are supposed to be. And when we live in that truth of who you are, Lord, we will find utmost joy and happiness in our Savior. Lord, would you be with our church? And as we take communion now, Lord, would we be reminded of everything that you have done for us on the cross? In Jesus' name, amen.